0: Hello and <clears throat> welcome, <laughs> everyone, to a new episode of the podcast, Self-Evolution Regardless. And I'm sorry for the uh, throat-clearing action I just did. It was because um, uh, I got interrupted by my throat, so if you'll excuse that. So basically, if I can get this fixed, because I, I don't know what's going on right. Um, essentially, so, I'm going to be talking about something that is not 100% scripted this time. Um, okay, we're going to talk about that later. So, uh, when you are in the middle of so much drama and so much abuse and there's so much going on, you really can't help but find a place or something or someone that you can confide in, that you can uh, go to where you can or want to be safe and protected. And you and everyone else who's not in the middle of the abuse, but everyone who is observing the amount of drama and terror going on in the abuse, should be looking for something that would protect them, uh, at least, if not in the short term, then maybe in the long term, from the abuse, maybe even just a short, uh, temporary little haven. So what I'm going to name this episode today is Haven Away From Abuse, when you're looking for... safe haven a sanctuary that where you go it's safer it's much less intense it's much less stressful Um, it's sort of uh, more or less more protective if you go there and it serves as a uh, shield from the abuse going on so I don't know about you but I mean, if you, if you relate to this, then you might have gone through this as well, because I've just heard this coming from uh, Generation X Politics YouTube channel, and I encourage you very, very much to watch his videos and to subscribe and to really engage if you have ever been through abuse any type of abuse, whether it be at work, or at home, or with someone, intimate partner, a relationship, a spouse, a neighbor, you know, whichever kind of uh, abusive relationship you may have gone through, because essentially what what an abusive relationship is, is, at first it starts sort of, quote-unquote, healthy, and it's fine, and it's normal, but then it's starts to become exhausting um, and it's using you and it's uh, consuming your power consuming your energy and then it's really uh, something that's gonna uh, destroy you gradually if you're not careful enough and if you don't provide yourself uh, a haven uh, to protect yourself from the abuse So, it's sort of like a coping mechanism for whether it be narcissistic or borderline or histrionic abuse, which I'm going to delve into in another episode. I don't know when, but I will. And so, it it finds you uh, vulnerable and easy to entrap and to control. So... If you've ever uh, come across this point, or if you've ever experienced any type of abuse, I'm pretty sure you might have done this, even if it's not just in childhood, like even if it goes on. Because for me, it still does, and for me, it's something that I cannot erase easily. So, with all the drama going on, with all the abuse that I strongly, very much believed was not safe for me. It wasn't an environment where I could grow um, like uh, in in a healthy way and an environment which which helped me to prosper I'm trying to I'm trying to do this. Okay, so if it were an environment which helped me prosper, I would have prospered, I would have grown as a, you know, a a human being, feeling safe where I grew up, Um, essentially, with all the drama and with all the fucking shit going on, which I knew was not healthy ever since I was a kid, and I always had my doubt, I basically created an imaginary friend for me. imaginary friend, he was a squirrel, it was a he and not a she, because I just love to have a a male imaginary friend, I don't know, it's just something. And he was a squirrel and his name was Bobby. Now it's not some sort of a demonic uh, possession or anything of that sort, but it was something that I created For my mental state and my mental health as a child to protect myself because I knew that there was nothing like the, the, the situation sometimes escalated to where I was literally throwing up and it's a mess and my stomach hurts and it's and It's not just my my mental state, it's my body also suffering and it's screaming and it's telling me like there's something wrong. And that it's not comfortable, that it's not safe. And so, this was the epitome of wanting to be safe. And I wanted it so bad, I just never had it with anybody else. And also... The reason why I created this imaginary friend of mine was because I felt I was never going to be understood. Nobody was there to understand me, or I wasn't even able to find anyone to talk to because everyone was busy with their things, um, whether it be work or study or stress or whatever. Um, and so, and and all my siblings are basically away. Like we are. Basically, two are from the same generation, and it's sort of like X, Generation X, and then Generation Y, and then me, Millennial, or maybe two Millennials, and then two from Generation X, but basically very a big age gap between us. And so, I would usually be like this person who is sort of, quote-unquote, retarded for them, and it would be hard for me to be talked to because nobody wanted to get as low as my level at the time when I was a child to talk to me, and so I felt pretty much very, very, very alone. And that, at the time, of course, when I had my teeth very crooked and bad, and I had them like a a huge overbite, and so I essentially didn't have anything to do with the best with the best imaginary friend being a squirrel but it was a cute animal that i watched it on cartoons and i just i don't know it it, it clicked um so i created a an imaginary best friend as a squirrel and that was to me It was something that I cherished a lot, a whole lot, because we could understand each other. Like, we could talk to each other. Um, It was sort of like this encrypted language. Um, Something that would make me look insane sometimes, because I'm talking alone all the time. Most of the time, because I'm thinking out loud, and I just cannot sometimes keep my mouth shut because I just, it helps, it helps a lot, and I did some research about, um, talking on your own, um, of course, it's not to the point where you're crazy, and you're, like, schizophrenic, or you're making up things, and you're hallucinating, but it's sort of like, uh, the daily thoughts of what you're going to do now, what you're going to do next, If you were to react to an event that just happened, how would you react? And I would just, you know, try to ask myself questions and answer them and try to, sorry, uh, try to comfort myself, try to be my own consultant, my own psychologist and my own um, therapist even. Because when I had this imaginary friend, and in the middle of the whole abuse, and at at the time, also, I never really understood why my body was so sick all the time. Um, I was, I remember, I threw up so many times when I was a kid. I used to have immense, like, uh, gastronomic problems and diarrhea, and it was just a mess. It was a really big, big mess for me. Um, and I never knew why. I never knew that stress and the anxiety and the intensity of the situation at home and the drama would cause that thing. I usually thought it was food and it was contaminated food and, and that I shouldn't eat outside because the meals at home are cooked and very clean. Well yeah, for sure, but I never knew it was also psychological and, and had a lot to do with uh abuse and drama, and so I always wondered about that and never really figured out why. Um, I remember one time, <clears throat> sorry, uh, I remember one time I, okay, this is going to be graphic, so if you would like to skip this part, then please do, <laughs> but just for now, it's going to be a little graphic, so if you have a strong heart, then keep on listening. So I woke up one day and I was young at this point, and I was spitting blood, blood everywhere. It was on the pillow, it was on the bed, and I didn't know why, although at the time, i I felt like my saliva was really salty and did have a strange taste to it. So when I went to the bathroom and I was, I was gonna I was gonna wash my face and everything. I was spitting blood, until I felt something like a meat, like sort of like a, a gooey thing from like the inside part of my cheek, and it and it was about to get out. And so I, you know, I grabbed it with my fingers, and lo and behold, it was like a gooey, gross, red, very, very red. Uh, I don't even know if it was a worm or if it was a dead skin or if it was a like a dead tissue that decided to Get so much blood and just cause this whole bunch of mess So I don't know. Um, I basically spit it out and then I washed my mouth and continued my day. It was terrifying It was traumatic, which which by the way explains how I remember it so vividly because it's so traumatic and scary for me. And so, I'm graphic. Um, and so that happened. And I just had to go on and act like nothing happened again. Because you're not allowed to suffer. You're not allowed to complain. You're not allowed to say this happened to me and this happened to me. Because narcissism cares less if fucking shit happens to you. If 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 your heart is beating at its last beats, they, they give less, to less shit. Or less two shits. I don't know, there's an expression with two and shits at, at this point. <laughs> the gift less shit. Okay, so yeah. So that happened and then um later, I think, uh it was here in my hellhole country. Um I don't know why or how this happened, I have no idea, but that night I was barely able to drink medicine, I was somehow terrified or something, it was, I don't know, like my gut was telling me something is wrong and it's something really bad It's going to happen and something is not okay and you're going to be sick. But I never really understood the message clearly. I, even though I believed it at the time. Even though a lot of the times I'm struggling to believe my fucking gut because they tell you it's fucking superstition and then it's something that is out of your uh religious beliefs and so you shouldn't really believe in that shit. Uh, Fuck that, but I still do, fuck it. But, um, so the next day, I don't even remember the nightmare that I had at the time but I woke up terrified like I was lying on the bed and then immediately stood up and then somehow, someway, I found my falling monkey sister next to me and then I freaked out and then I told her, can you bring me a cup of water please? I was thirsty as heck at the time. And then, once I drank it, out it goes immediately. Puke of water. Literally, out of nowhere, I have no idea how the fuck it happened, but it happened. And then I was really throwing up anymore. I guess it was something psychological. I can't even explain it. And it's just... A lot of my childhood was spent me puking everywhere. I don't even know how to explain them. So many times I'd be gaslighted, if you could say, with excuses of, oh, you've eaten that contaminated food. Oh, that food was toxic anyway. Oh, you've eaten that, which was spoiled. And then I had all those excuses. But then I just couldn't figure it out. And now I think, maybe, I still don't know though, maybe it has something to do with the psychological aspect of the whole thing. Along with that, I created this imaginary friend, which helped me so much. Really. Um, because I would tell my secrets to this imaginary friend. I would confide in with this imaginary friend. I would tell them what's going on with me. And I felt like it was this part of me that wanted to be heard. And also this part of me that wanted to consult me and wanted to um, you know, comfort me, I wanted to be there for me, I want it to listen to me, so I was kind of like my own patient and my own, you know, therapist and coach, and not coach, but like my own, uh, you know, psychologist at the same time, and every time I had these, like, conversations with myself, and even though it might, it might be as long as literally, like, half an hour, <laughs> um, it would be extremely comforting and really nice to listen to, to have somebody to talk to. But that's you, like that is you, and you know. When you have nobody to talk to, when you find yourself lonely most of the time, you want to create something that's going to make you feel better. If not better, then at least less worried and less anxious and less tense all the time so by the time i created that sanctuary for myself it helped me to ease so much of that problem and so much of those insecurities about my teeth and about how I looked and and how i dressed and what i ate and how i ate and all that and i it was so like comforting um Something that is really, really precious to me, and I would not... I, I don't think I would have survived without that. One of the things that made me stand my ground, regardless of how abusive situations might be, and how uh, determined the abusers were to keep on pressuring me to the, keep quiet, to not talk about stuff, to always be smiling to the outside world because the reputation matters more than anything, you know, all the bullshit, Um, it's just, it kept me who I am because I could not handle, I never really accepted how narcissism makes any sense, and I figured so many times also that I might have narcissistic traits myself. Um, Now, there's a doctor, I think. His family name is Childress, but I don't know, I forgot his first name. But he mentioned this, that when it comes to children who have narcissistic parents, whom we claim are narcissistic themselves, actually they're not, like they did not uh, become narcissistic, they weren't born narcissistic, they were made to be narcissistic, they were especially narcissistic around their parents and to their parents, and that's sort of like, they had the same traits basically, because you talked about the diagnosis of these children, and how they acted towards their abusive parents. And so what he noticed is essentially they had most, if not all, narcissistic traits. Like the lack of empathy, the entitlement, the arrogance, the preoccupation with fantasies, the uh, grandiosity, the envy, and um, I think I call them all, I don't know. Um, but, so, most of the traits that I, an NPD, uh, that someone with NPD would have, they also observed those happen to those children, but they were directed at their abusive parents. They weren't like that around others, outside the familiar context that they were raised in. And so I noticed that myself, and then I was questioning if I were a narcissist myself because I hate that. I don't want to be like them. I don't want to be around behind closed doors being a bitchy and bitter and abusive and and, and rebellious slut. But then outside I'm like this angel, this charming girl who goes out and talks to everybody and is charming and is Uh, showing the best side of herself around people to the world, but then behind closed doors, she's a monster. Like, I never really wanted to do that. I wanted to be authentic with myself as much as I can, and authentic with the people around me, no matter how, no matter where I am, and no matter how I also am, because the mood can play a huge role in that, but... I wanted to stay authentic to myself and to the people around me because that mattered to me so much because that mattered a lot to me to form balanced relationships with people, okay? Because I didn't want to be a two-faced bitch who would show a nice face to someone and then an ugly face another time to that person or talk about people behind their backs, which, I mean, it can happen sometimes, but not to the point where it's it's stemming out of lack of empathy and out of this feeling of wanting to be superior um, and better and bigger and more beautiful than people. I, I never really accepted any of that shit in my life. I never really wanted to have anything to do with that. So I wanted to be as honest and as authentic as I could. Hopefully I was successful even though there is definitely trial and error on the way. But I don't know. I'm just I'm just being honest here. And so so many people reject me because of that. So many people just saw that I was too selfish, too self centered. Looking up only, you know, only for the best for my, only for myself. Um, but a lot of the times I did that because I also felt that people were never grateful for whatever it is that I did. For example, um, at school and during the exams, like they would only need me when they were stuck in English. <laughs> And so um, I felt like they were never really grateful for that. And when I wanted help, like when I needed some help in other subjects like math or physics, um, it would be any type of excuse that it would come up that for some reason somehow my naive ass would believe in. And it would sound legit, even though it would never make sense. And it would... It would be something extremely self-centered and not really considerate. But look, they did this to me when I said no when it comes to helping them in English re- revision for whatever reason. They always guilt trip me and they're telling me how bad I am and how selfish I am and how you know self-centered I am. And that I'm not helping them because if they don't get this grade, they're going to fail. Which is all a bunch of fucking lies. But I never really came to believe that I needed myself first before anybody else. But hey, still. I still felt sad for not helping them. And I just fucking fell for it. And then I helped them. And then I still got no credit for the amount of help that I gave them because essentially when it comes to the other side of the transaction, when I needed the, the help, when I needed some support, I was never a recipient of that. Um, and so, and they had every single quote unquote reason to do so and every single excuse to do so. But when it came to me, it was always the guilt tripping, it was always the gaslighting, it was always the rumors that they she's going to hate you if you don't help her out, he's going to beat you outside the school if you don't help him out, uh, he's going to tell everybody on you and nobody's going to be friends with you if you don't help him out, and stuff and, and bullshit like that, and I would just, you know, it, it would overwhelm me with guilt that I would just fucking do it and just fucking help it and then whatever, you know. Um and then I also got violent so many times because I was bullied for not helping out, for not being there for them. Like as if they were even fucking there for me in the first place. But I decided to stand my ground and so many times fights even broke out. Bullying even happened and so hey, people are violent, hormones play a huge role in that, but I still don't give a fuck because people are fucking selfish, and they know what the, fu- what the fuck they're doing, they know when the jig is up, and so, obviously, when they only see you as a convenience, you don't fucking matter, all you're doing is the, is, is the fucking transaction, that's all they're, they're gonna get from you, but if you're asking for help, if you're wanting something in return, they're gonna come up with all these excuses and all these reasons as to why you're not eligible for that. Which also is very fucking narcissistic. And they would blame it on me instead. They would would project their flaws onto me saying that I'm selfish and that I'm helpless and that I'm self-centered and that I only focus on myself and that I... I don't like people to succeed as much as I do and all the fucking bullshit. Dawned on me for so fucking long until I fucking had it. <sighs> well... I don't want to say that I... was not... helpless myself. I was at times, but... Still, still, I am really grateful for the fact that I still stand my ground to this day. And you know what? Actually, I still say this to myself and I still want to say this to you, okay? Create your fucking safe haven whenever you're in abuse. At least if you don't have the luxury to move out or to go no contact or to block these people out of your life, or to cut these people out of your life, okay? At least create some safe haven where if you're gonna go to this place, it feels really a lot safer. And a space for you where you can talk freely, and you can express yourself, and you can be your own therapist, whether it be writing on a journal, whether it be playing games, uh, going out for a walk, watching a movie, uh, meditating, or even creating an imaginary friend for all I fucking care. Okay? If you want to create the safe haven for you, please do. When you don't have the luxury to up and leave. Okay? It's extremely important for your mental health, physical health, Body in your in your in your mind are connected. Remember that. In the Matrix movies, by the way, they always emphasize this point. Because whenever Neo, uh, Trinity, and Morpheus would go on these journeys, they're connected into these machines. Now, we know that they're hooked onto these machines with their brains, but they're also lying on these chairs in the real world. And, they, and Morpheus always says, if you die in the matrix, you die in the real world. So it's not just you dying in your brain when you're connected to the machine, you're also dying here in the real world. Same as, uh, same as what happens in the dream. If you're having a nightmare, which is your brain connected to this nightmare, If you're having this nightmare and it's terrifying you to your core. If, God forbid, you die in your dream, you're also dying in the real world. Because your body and your mind are and have always been and will always be connected. It's the myth that the mind and body are separated. Sometimes that we come across and believe in because... Of the mainstream and because of propaganda and because of the uh, lying messages that come our way, you know. But we have to believe this because you're one mind, body, and soul all together. And so when you're working on yourself, you you rem- remember that you're working on your body, on your mind, and on your soul all three together. Okay, and if your body is suffering. A whole lot from the abuse going on, or from the drama in general, from the excessive amount of, of. Oh yeah, the last trait that I didn't mention is the the tendency or sort of the addiction to always seek attention. And this, is, and here it comes, so it's at the right time. When it comes to seeking narcissistic supply and drama all the time, when your body cannot handle that shit, just, just go, just leave. Do whatever it takes to fucking live. Take your, take your ass out of the situation. Even if it just takes a half an hour walk away from this hellhole, from this pandemonium, okay? At least just for a while until you, you're restoring some energy, and you're back on track and then maybe things will subtle and then you're back at it again but if you're still unstable and shaky and tense then you might as well leave because it's just better to teleport <laughs> like say. teleport to another dimension if it takes to just be safe for a while and create yourself a safe haven where you are protected from the abuse and the repercussions of the abuse and we all know how it affects us tremendously and how it even changes us as people we may even become abusers ourselves so we really have to be careful with that so um basically Um, I hope I made sense at, by the end of this episode, um, and that's it. So, thank you very much for listening to this episode on the podcast, uh, self-evolution regardless. If you'd like to see this podcast thriving and successful, please do not hesitate to support it. Any amount will be very much appreciated. Um, I'll be posting the links on the show notes again in Red Circle this time, because I'm redirecting the podcast over there. Um, you will also find it available on the same, uh, podcast, uh, distribution website. Because right now, Red Circle is going to be my podcast host, so... Hosting platform, but the other distribution platforms like, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Castbox, Podbean, uh, Apple Podcast, Overcast, etc., etc., are gonna be updated pretty soon. So be be on the lookout for that. And uh, so yeah, if you please check out the links I'll be posting on the show notes there and the social media and the merch and the patreon I would very much appreciate it and also that's it I'll see you in the next episode <laughs>